0: The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to twoheadednerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. What's up, pervs? This is THN love slave Elise Wisdom, the only woman with the balls to come on this show. And you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt.
0: Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. I will have you know, most podcasts last an average of six episodes, but it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 247! I quit! We just don't know when to stop, (laughs) where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 9th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not swilling green beer and complaining about my aching blarney stones, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com! And my name is
2: Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not pretending to be Irish because I don't f***ing have to. That's right, he is Irish. I'm searching for meaning as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska.
0: Earn go bra, Joe. It's the St. Paddy's Day episode of THN. And in this week's episode, you're going to hear our reviews of Mulp, Scepter of the Sun, and Superman, Batman number 30. After that, Joe and I will review 10 more of this week's comics faster than Sean Cassidy can drink his cousin Black Tom under the table during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where the gay ghost, pardon me, the grim ghost is sharing with us the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, Elise Wisdom returns to share some words of wisdom from the wild. But. Before we start stereotyping Irish culture any further as a part of our St. Paddy's Day show, let's pass the Jameson and finish our Leprechaun Film Festival, and then we can talk about this week's big news.
2: (laughs) Don't ever do that again. I'm the Leprechaun. (laughs) 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 25-year-old Wayne's World jokes, for those of you that don't know. There you go. There you go. The Lumberjane Scouts will meet the students of Gotham Academy this summer in a crossover from Boom Studios
0: and DC Comics. You can file this in the what the f- folder.
2: It is the first ever intercompany crossover uh, that Boom has been part of. Is that right? It's a fun fact. Really? Yeah. This was announced Tuesday morning in the Village Voice. This is going to be a six-issue miniseries debuting in June, written by China Clugston Flores, illustrated by Rosemary... Valero O'Connell. It's all hyphenated last names up in this biz. Uh, apparently. Now, Matt, you hate children and all things young and joyful. Can you find it buried inside that hard, black heart of yours
0: to get excited for this project? If it's good, I don't know. Okay, help me out. China Clugston Flores. Why do I know the name?
2: Uh, she used to be known as China Clugston Major. Okay, and she's been writing comics for quite
0: a long time. So she's remarried. Good for her. Yeah, i uh, probably a good thing. Congratulations. Yeah, you know. You know. Uh, you know, Gotham Academy is a lot of fun. I wasn't the biggest Lumberjanes fan, but I don't think it's geared to me. I like both books, but I didn't stay caught up on either one of them. It's true. It's true. Uh, for those of you who don't know, created by Shannon Waters, Grace Ellis, and Noel Stevenson, the critically acclaimed Lumberjanes, centers on Mal, Ripley, Molly, April, and Joe. They're all scouts at Miss Quinzella's. Miss this,
2: Quinzella, wow. <laughs> Thisquin, Paniquiki, Thistle, Crumpets, Camp for Hardcore Lady Types. Jesus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Gotham Academy came from Becky Cloonan, Brendan Fletcher, and Carl Kershaw. Gotham Academy is set in an elite school where Olive Silverlock, Mia, Maps, Mizuguchi, and their classmates investigate strange goings on. Both are very cute. Both are very well done. I honestly can't think of two books
2: on the stands right now that are more geared towards coming together as one book. As
0: weird as it sounds, this does make perfect sense. I'm just curious why it's a totally different creative team that's working on this and not a mashup of these creative teams. Is that weird? Yeah.
2: Why aren't the creators of the actual
0: comics working on this crossover? It's strange. Kate Leth and Shannon Walters are writing Lumberjanes right now with Carrie Peach, and it's still very good people really like it yeah i don't know maybe they're busy getting ready for rebirth that could be
2: still i think it's super fun it's a it seems like a no-brainer idea to put these two properties together we don't know anything yet about the premise of the book or the title of the crossover but considering the usual subject matter of both books i'm sure it will be some sort of Scooby-Doo-esque,
0: right. s- mysterious, offbeat... Hilarity will abound, of course.
2: Yeah!
0: Joe, the comics industry lost one of its unsung heroes this week when longtime Marvel and DC artist Paul Ryan passed away at age 66. That is not old. It's not old. That's not old. If you grew up reading comics in the 80s and 90s, odds are Ryan drew some of your favorites. He got his start drawing the tail end of Mark Grunwald's classic Squadron Supreme series. And later... Co-created DP7. Which is like legit a fan favorite. DP7 was the only one I liked in the new yeah. universe. Don't get me wrong. Kicker's Inc. was great. Joe, you and I both read piles of this guy's comics without maybe even knowing his name. Should every comic reader be mourning Paul Ryan? You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. He's the sort of creator
2: that had so much prolific work in the 80s and 90s that you've probably enjoyed some of his stuff without even knowing who he was. So Yeah, I was embarrassed. Get, get this. He drew the wedding issues for both Spider-Man and Mary Jane
0: and Superman and Lois Lane. Those were huge, by the way. Gigantic Uh, sellers. The Superman
2: and Lois Lane one was like a multiple creator thing, but he was involved in it. Right. He was one of the few artists in the business capable of handling two monthly titles at once. And he used that ability to create runs on some of the most iconic superhero titles. The Avengers. Both coasts. Yeah. At one time, at the same time. Yeah, it's crazy. Iron Man, Superman, The Flash during uh, the Mark Waid run, and then when Grant Morrison and Mark Miller took it over for a bit. Yeah. Quasar, and so many others. But his best known work is probably his five year run on the Fantastic Four. Oh, man. With writer Tom DeFalco. One of the longest runs in
0: the history of that title. I was embarrassed when I went and looked. Like, I recognized the name. Uh, But when I started looking at everything this guy worked on, I was embarrassed that I didn't remember him. And it's too bad. I hate to hear stories like this when guys like this go and they don't didn't get their due props during their life. You know, that is kind of the it's not tragedy, but uh, it's not a tragedy. I mean, we're remembering him now. Yeah, I mean, but it's an artifact of the business, though. I would argue this whole. Knowing creators, following creators, and loving creators really didn't start until the last 10 or 15 years. Like, we knew the big names, but these workhorse guys. more
2: the idea of following a creator from book to book versus following a character that you loved. Right. It's certainly more of a, a product of the 90s era Absolutely. where uh, the artists became superstars. But Paul Ryan is the sort of artist that did so much great work and never really achieved the level of... Legendary. industry recognition that I think he deserves. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It's too bad it had to happen after he and passed.
2: I was a huge fan and I was really sad to hear about that.
0: Yeah. For the past 10 years, Ryan has been the artist of the Phantom comic strip, like a news comic strip.
2: Yeah. That happens to a lot. Uh, well, uh, several uh, older creators have gone on to do
0: comic strips. Uh, Graham Nolan. Yeah. He did the Phantom for a while. Graham Best Nolan one. also did the Phantom. Yeah. Graham Nolan was on the Phantom. Well, there you go. There you go.
2: But, yeah, it's so sad, and I loved Paul Ryan, and I think that he absolutely deserves more props uh, in the industry and certainly in the history of, like, creating
0: these formative comics for guys like you and me. Well, and just workhorse guys like this don't exist anymore. Yeah. Guys that could pump out that much stuff. Two books at once. They don't exist anymore. Unheard of. Crazy.
2: In Hollywood news, it seems that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has left...
0: The film adaptation of DC Vertigo's *The Sandman*. It's my boy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Man, that kid is talented. Sings, dances, he's funny. Uh, he's a good-looking. He's an everyman. Woo!
2: Now, Matt, I wasn't too sure about Hollywood trying to adapt. He's a Sandman.
0: renaissance man. He's not an everyman. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. And everyman is kind of boring.
2: He's a song and dance man. <laughs> Matt, I wasn't too sure about Hollywood trying to adapt Sandman in the first place, but this news makes me even more wary.
0: Yeah, I don't think Sandman needs to be adapted to a movie. I think it would be something that'd be better as a long form story, like a series, if you're going to do something like that. And this certainly doesn't fill me with joy. There, there's certain names that are attached to projects that we go, oh, all right, well, you know, whatever, that guy will be fine. But there's other people that are very, very talented. Tend not to make bad choices with their career and when you hear that they remove themselves from something like this it's extremely worrisome
2: yeah so here's the post that he put up on his facebook page
0: i will say you super classy about it
2: yeah absolutely he said quote recently the sort of ownership for lack of a better term of the sandman material changed hands when warner brothers shifted the entire catalog of vertigo comics to their subsidiary new line And a few months ago, I came to realize that the folks at New Line and I just don't see eye to eye on what makes Sandman special. The jerks at New Line. And what (laughs) a film adaptation could and should be. You're telling me the people that
0: gave me Freddy Krueger can't figure out the Sandman.
2: (laughs) So unfortunately, I decided to
0: remove myself from the project. I wish nothing but the best for the team moving forward. And quote, the announcement came just days after New Line hired screenwriter Eric Heiserer to join the production. But Heiserer notes that Gordon Levitt left well before he'd ever joined the project, which kind of makes it sound like uh, Levitt was off this boat a while ago. Heiserer,
2: well, instead of, he says in his quote a few months ago, yeah. he, he had this realization. So they, they only just now kind of announced it.
0: Heiserer took to Twitter saying, quote, creative differences are bound to happen. It's always healthier to part ways rather than endure a lot of heartbreak. Mad respect. Respect. <laughs> Heiser is kind of an up-and-coming writer. I'm just going to rattle through a few of his more famous (laughs) movies. Um, The Hours, which you may or may not remember, came out in 2013. Yeah, that's a Nicole Kidman movie? No, it was Paul Walker's final film. (laughs) The Hours? The Hours. Uh, It was just called Hours. Oh, The Hours is a different movie. The Thing reboot in 2011. Oh. Final Destination 5. Oh, 5 Destination? If you're keeping track, it's Final, 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 Final Destination. <laughs> I like 5-0 Destination. The Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Oh. Jackie Earl Haley as your Freddy. The yeah. only good thing about it. Where he was like
2: an, a misunderstood. Yes. Uh, Child molester. Yeah, except he wasn't. Yeah. That was... That was like the beauty of the original Freddy Krueger is that he was legitimately a child molester. Yeah, well, he was a real monster. Well,
0: Jackie Earl Haley was too, wasn't he? No, falsely accused. Oh, that's right. That's right.
2: In the Freddy Krueger
0: reboot... He's totally justified. That's right, because you know what? <laughs> what I always look for in my slasher bad guy is like someone who's just misunderstood. Yeah,
2: he was totally <laughs> justified coming
0: back from the grave to get revenge does, on the people that lynched him. Nothing does it better than that. Like would uh, Rob Zombie turn Michael Myers into an ugly kid? You know, uh, like oh come on. Well, now you know Michael Myers <laughs> was an ugly kid anyway. Yeah, right. What else you got? I'm not thrilled to hear that that's who they have attached to this. I, and, you know, I'm, and it, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not Hessier's fault. You know, he's making money and he's doing the work and i Dude's get it gotta eat we say it all the time right and i'll give him respect for that but uh it might have some to do with mad respect no not mad respect just respect <laughs> it might have something to do with jgl taken off these are not good movies you know i have he I did have, not direct them to be fair he wrote them sure, he did not direct sure. them but they're not good movies that said i did get a little misty watching paul walker in hours it was his final film you know <laughs> i thought that brick Brick Hotels or... Oh, he had like four movies come out after that. He's I a Tupac of movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, more of the big pun of movies, I would say. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I have detached. My engagement with the potential Sandman movie,
0: I'm hands off. Yeah, this doesn't work we'll, well. We'll
2: see what happens. I don't care.
0: Joe Patrick, this might cheer you up a little bit. Every once in a while, Hollywood seems to get it right. Veteran film and television actor J.K. Simmons has been cast as Commissioner James Gordon. For 2017's Justice League. Love it. Part one. According to the Hollywood Reporter, who is not the Latino Review, so eh, we'll see. The film, which is scheduled to begin shooting this April, is said to feature Superman, Henry Cavill, Batman, Henry Cavill, is what you wrote. <laughs> and that was like cut, that's a cut and paste job. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> nice job, Hollywood Reporter. So Super- <laughs> Cavill's playing Superman at Batman. This was probably from News Arammer, which obviously is a spoiler. Superman murders Batman and then assumes his identity so nobody knows he kill him. I did not see that coming. Huge
2: spoilers!
0: (laughs) Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, Aquaman, Jason Momoa, The Flash, Ezra Miller, and Cyborg, Ray Fisher, and Lois Lane, Amy Adams. She's not a member of the Justice League. (laughs) I hope not. While this news might make such a return unlikely, Simmons recently said that he would, quote, never close the door on reprising his iconic role as Spider-Man's nemesis, J, Jonah, Jameson, Joey, what do you think of Triple J as an ex-Jim Gordon?
2: I freaking love it. Yeah. I love it.
0: I don't have any problem with that.
2: No way. I, In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that it is the smartest bit of casting that DC has done since they've rebooted their movie universe. I,
0: that's hard to argue with.
2: I am bummed at the idea. Like, okay, let's get real for a second. The marketing.
0: Let's m- get these shirts off first.
2: <laughs> let's get these shirts
0: off I can't second. get real unless my shirt's off.
2: These marketing monsters behind all this Hollywood nonsense, you know, those people at Marvel studios, there's no way they would ever go. Let's call JK Simmons. Let's have him come back and do Jameson. Who cares if the fans are confused? Yeah, they, it would never happen. No,
0: I but, wanted but I it get, to happen. I get that for continuity sake. I get that. Like I wanted it to happen though. I'd be fine with it.
2: And if, if they just came, they came right out and said, look. He. There is no better choice for this character than J.K. Simmons.
0: What if J.K. Simmons played Perry White?
2: Crazy Caesar's ghost. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, Lawrence Fishburne (laughs) is Perry White.
0: I know. I'm just saying, like crazy mixed up world. What if J.K. Simmons played every character? What if he played (laughs) Aquaman? What if J.K. Simmons played Lois Lane? Wonder Woman. All of a sudden, I'm way more into this dizzy And the best actress Oscar goes to <laughs> J.K. Simmons as Wonder Woman. <laughs> Justice League colon <laughs> everyone <one>. V everyone. <laughs>
2: uh, but yeah, I know that they were never going to call him back to, to be Jonah Jameson. Of course
0: not. Of course not.
2: I am a little sad that now it seems like the door is closed. But I think as a pick for Jim Gordon goes, this is perfection
0: yes as long as they're not building this on the corpse of the burning <laughs> wreck that is Batman v Superman so we'll see well
2: they are building it on the
0: burning corpse that is Batman we v don't Superman know. When it's I think all it's, part of the same universe we don't know if it's a burning corpse yet we're just guessing we don't know <laughs> if it's a burning corpse <laughs> yeah, yet yes. that is the big news for this week if you would like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed us up on the big news section of the THN Forums, where Joe and I are reliving our whiplash days when Jay Jonas Jameson once screamed us both down for not knowing how to keep time in front of our entire jazz ensemble. It was so humiliating. I'm still embarrassed. Every week, the leader of this drumline posts the question of the week on the THN Forums. I'm the Nick Cannon of this production. Truly. <laughs> His name's Joe Patrick. Joey. What are we asking the nerds this week?
2: Listen up, Periscope, because this week's question comes from Anthony, currently from Brooklyn, who's watching the show with us right now. Hot
0: damn.
2: He says, quote, Daredevil season two premieres this coming week. I know. And I am wondering, what is your favorite comic book adaptation solely to television? Okay. So no movies. We get enough movie talk. Just TV. So comic books adapted to TV. Uh, And I think,
0: Anthony, since he brought up Daredevil, it's safe to assume Netflix is fair game. It counts. Yeah, I mean, that's still television. It's television on demand, but it's still TV. Yeah, yeah. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, March 18th, to get us your answer. You can call our Ziggurat hotline to do so. It is 402-819-4894. And leave us a message. If you're feeling hungover from St. Patty's Day, you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But you got to keep your answer under two minutes or you're going to get cut off. We got a bunch of you guys. You got to share the air. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. There is an awesome forum that is still rolling on this amalgam bullshit that we did last week that was so fun. Fan favorite. And then you can tune in the next Thursday to hear your fellow listeners. On the THN Answer of the Week podcast We do two shows a week Because we love you guys so much That one is yours So be a part of it Okay guys hey,
2: it's review time in the Ziggurat Where we read and discuss two of this week's comics And rate them on our buy it Skim it or leave it scale Matt I'd love to come up with a witty St. Patty's Day joke here, but it seems you were just too damn lazy or drunk or both while writing this script. Definitely both. Little Stone, too. Tell the nerds what you read and reviewed already. This week, I read MULP.
0: M-U-L-P. Oh boy, we're going to have a conversation about this book. Scepter of the Sun, number one, from Improper Books. This was written by Matt Gibbs with art by Sarah Dunkerton. 32 pages. It cost $8. I mean, it's an independent production from overseas. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Right. I'm guessing here, and believe it or not, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of about this book on the internet, but my guess is that the title, Mulp, is a mashup of mouse and pulp. Sure, why not? See, all the characters are anthropomorphic mice, in the vein of Mouse Guard or the Mice Templar. It is a terrible title for what is otherwise a charming and very well-written and illustrated Mulp. story. Think Equal Parts Mouse Guard and Indiana Jones with a really interesting twist. MULP was first printed in the UK in 2014 to critical acclaim. The story follows a group of archaeologist mice that have stumbled on a Rosetta Stone of sort in ancient Egypt that seems to connect ancient Greek texts with Egyptian and what seems to be Mayan scripts. The kicker is the mice have obviously unearthed what seems to be a human skeleton they can't identify, which leads the reader to wonder if this is some kind of post-apocalyptic tale that takes place after mice have inherited the earth from humanity.
2: See, and I kind of read it as, like, no, the mice are still existing in the normal human world. It's just that all their is really small. But there were no so people So there's, around. like, tiny mice planes flying around. But there were no
0: people around, ever. They well, never... And all the buildings were mice-sized. Yes, everything was. And like uh, the pyramids were still massive, gigantic. Well, I mean it's a pyramid, but yeah. But, but I mean my point being like they're big to us. Like they go to this might, mu- they go to this huge. museum
2: and it is a built it's a full-on building and it yeah. is not It's a little mouse building. It's a mouse yeah. size
0: building. Even without that twist, the story and dialogue grabbed me instantly. Like I said, it's very much in the spirit of Indiana Jones with the polite but perfect dialogue of a BBC miniseries. Our hero Jack Redpath has flown to Egypt to help a friend stuck in the middle of a mystery with an unknown group of dastardly mice trying to beat the academics to the secret behind the stone they've unearthed. Everything about this story was just simply charming. Even the action was restrained and suitable for all ages, but very well executed. Artist Sarah Dunkerton did a brilliant job giving each of the mice their own personality and creating a very believable 1920s looking Egypt. Her backgrounds and animated style gave the story a fantastic feel in the spirit of anthropomorphic classics like The Secret of Nim*. I love this story from the first page, and I can't wait to read the rest. It amazes me what creators can do with talking animals. And the twist of having a past human civilization made the story even more interesting. My only problem is eight dollars you got to make this more accessible if you want to put this in people's hands, guys. We're, I mean, but if it's self-published, it's, I, it costs what it costs. I guess. I'm just really surprised nobody else would get behind this because it was a really good story. I'm giving it a buy it, even though it's very expensive.
2: Okay, I'm going to start off with the positive here. Okay. I saw the name on the book, Sarah Dunkerton, and I thought to myself, why does that sound so familiar? It didn't sound familiar to me. The reason it sounds so familiar is because Sarah Dunkerton was one of the creators... She was the artist and co-creator of that Doctor Who fan comic we did. We reviewed, really, in episode ninety-nine. Oh my god, that was like sixteen years ago. It was three years ago. Oh, three. Sorry, <laughs> it was two thousand and thirteen. I looked it up. I was like, Sarah Dunkerton. No, shit. yeah, uh, continuity. Yeah. And her art is amazing. Mm -hmm. She was great then and she's even better now. This is a gorgeous book. A gorgeous book. Yeah. It's uh, like you said, it's very charming. Uh, The aesthetics are all very beautiful. The scenery is great. The coloring is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Up and down the whole thing. Very animated. It's a very, very good looking package. I'm not going to touch on the price. Because, you know, I, I kind of get the whole notion of self-publishing. Sure. You know, sometimes, you're, sometimes your mini-comic has to cost five bucks, even though it's ten folded in half stable pages from Kinko's. Right. As you long know, as
0: the collected version doesn't cost $50. Sure.
2: <laughs> and this is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is so much more impressive than something like that. Oh, yeah. I was so bored. Really? <laughs> I read this comic... It's so dry.
0: It's very British.
2: And I don't know Extremely if that it's, I don't know if that's because of the yeah, the British nature of it. It's well written, don't get me wrong. Very it's well written. very well put together, but I had such a hard time staying connected to the story. I I have to give it a skim it because it's Not your piece of cheese. It's not my piece of cheese, man. All right. But it's absolutely worth the time. To seek it out and give it a look and see if it's for you because these people poured their heart and soul into it. Yeah. And I was so happy to see Sarah's name on it uh, because after that Doctor Who thing three years ago, I never heard from her. I never heard anything from her again. I totally forgot about her. And it's great that she's still doing comics. It's great that she's gotten even better. Yeah. And I'm super
0: happy for these guys. Skim it, jerk. Joe Patrick, Look, I, let's get to your. I'm sorry, let's w- get to your big two superhero crap.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, all right, you DC dorks on Periscope, better pay attention because this is gonna get good. My review for this week is Batman Superman number thirty from DC Comics. It's written by Tom Taylor, with art by Robson Rocha. It's thirty two pages for three ninety nine. It's your standard nonsense. Here's the solicit. Though the solicit really doesn't matter. The mystery of why Batman and Superman were brought into a cosmic murder case is revealed, and the ramifications for Superman are huge! Sort of! Let's not get carried away. (laughs) Let's not get carried away. I have blissfully ignored Batman-Superman for the entire length of its run up until this point.
0: I didn't know it wasn't called (laughs) Superman-Batman anymore, honestly.
2: (laughs) I think we covered number one on the show back when Jay Lee was drawing it. So, I was very surprised when I heard another podcast. Yes, I listened to other comic book podcasts. Name them. Drop their name. It was iFanboy. Mm-hmm. iFanboy was talking about the, the hashtag previous hashtag two fidelity issues. Smack. There you go. Fidelity Smack. Hashtag Fidelity Smack. And they were giving me this book high praise. And I thought, what? What? How good could it be? I saw number 30 on the release list for this week. And I thought, why? I figured at the very least I'd have another book that I can throw in to pad out my ludicrous speed round picks. Uh, while I review uh, Mockingbird, because that was going to be my pick for the week. Yep. But after I read this issue and the two preceding it, I I had to talk about it. At the beginning of the arc, Superman and Batman were drawn to the moon after a gargantuan alien explorer scrawls a message for them with her dying breath. Uh, The world's finest duo are suddenly thrown into a sci-fi murder mystery with plenty of twists and turns. The story itself is compelling enough, and it's a fun mystery with some great fake-out moments. And the ending, I thought, was genuinely touching. Robson Roach's art is really lovely. It's not especially showy or boundary-pushing, but it's excellent superhero art in a classic style. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He nails the body language of the two characters. Superman stands tall with his shoulders back, confident, while Batman is all hunched and guarded. And he gets double points for making the race of alien giants look like Lou Gossett Jr. from Enemy Mine and Madame Vastra from Doctor Who Had a
0: Baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: But what really got me about this issue and this entire short three-issue run is that Tom Taylor is essentially writing a Batman Superman story free from the trappings of the new 52. Aesthetically speaking, yes, the character designs are still wet garbage for the most part, but Taylor captures the essence of these two heroes in a way that reminded me of what makes them icons.
0: Props for going to wet garbage. we been doing a lot of flaming garbage lately. Yeah, right. <laughs> wet garbage is just as bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just opposite end of the spectrum.
2: It's all about small character moments like Superman telling the astronaut that he just saved from certain death that he's a big fan. Or Batman facing down threats that are so far above his weight class
0: with absolutely zero fear and hesitation because it's the right thing to do. The scene where Batman comes to the or pardon me, Superman comes to the Batcave. This was like issue 29. Yeah. To check on Bruce and Alfred's there and suddenly Superman's holding a cup of tea. And, yeah. And, it's
2: like, and, I didn't even see him give it to me. Yeah. And <laughs>
0: Batman's like, apparently tea cures everything. And Superman looks at <laughs> him and goes, I didn't even see him give it to me. And Batman goes, that's his superpower. That's his superpower. Yeah. <laughs>
2: it's great. <laughs> Taylor's Batman and Superman are timeless. You could have thrown red trunks and a yellow oval on them and the story still would have felt just right. Superman isn't petulant and he doesn't have a tood and Batman isn't a withdrawn psychopath that uses his partners instead of values them. Superman and Batman respect each other. There's a fun twist towards the end that's straight out of the silver age. And I loved it. Taylor even managed to make me enjoy the new Lobo. Thanks in part to Rocha's slight tweaks to his pretty boy design. Yeah. Overall, I thought that this was a tremendous surprise. I don't know if the entire run of this series has felt like this. Taylor's run, I think was very short. I think he only did these three issues, but Taylor was able to recapture in three issues. A lot of the things that I thought DC threw away five years ago. I don't know what rebirth has in store, but I hope that it strikes the same kind of tone that this did. I'm giving it a huge buy. I know we kind of cheated and I reviewed three issues instead of one, but this was so good. You guys gotta, if you're a DC fan, especially a lapsed DC fan, it's an absolute buy it.
0: Yeah, Tom Taylor has been doing all new Wolverine, which has been really good, like, better than it has any business being. And you're right. This was absolutely just classic Superman and Batman in space. They were able to just take them off the planet Earth, and it felt better. You didn't have to worry about any of the crap that was going on. I still didn't like the costumes either.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the designs are the designs, and you have to be able to get past that,
0: Yeah,
2: Uh, but And also, this takes place in a, just like Justice League and uh, a couple other books, this takes place in a very
0: nebulous- In a vacuum. No pun intended.
2: Right. In a very nebulous uh, continuity sense, like Hal Jordan's running around the Green Lantern Corps as Green Lantern, not in a trench coat with a mullet. Uh, Superman's in his costume fully powered up. Which is the worst thing ever. (laughs) He doesn't really have a mullet, but he does wear a trench coat and fly around in space in a trench coat.
0: Dumb. Why are you even wearing a coat? Cause it's cold. Space is very cold. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed this. It was just fun. It's exactly everything you said. I don't have a whole lot to add because you pretty much hit it all. I have never seen Roka's art before. He's really good. Yeah. He's not flashy. He's not overdone. He's just really good in a very classic sense. This was a huge buy it for me as well. And it's nice that stuff like this can still happen even with the DCU ending or restarting or whatever. I hope Tom Taylor is given some serious jobs cause he's a good writer and I'd like to see more from him. Not necessarily on a Batman and Superman, but like, get him someplace that really needs help. It's clear to me that Tom Taylor has a very
2: uh, strong fondness yeah. for these characters specifically.
0: Yeah. And I think Superman specifically. Yeah, you can tell when he's writing this, he, he loves a character and he's not necessarily trying to add anything new. Just give us a little bit of what we all liked about them because that hasn't been around for yes, a while. Absolutely agree. So that is a buy it and a skim it for Mulp, Scepter of the Sun, and a double buy it for Superman, Batman 30. Now it's time for you super buddies and adventurous pipsqueaks to play critics. So head over to the THN forums at THNforums.boards.net and hit us with your opinions of these comics. That's the place to go to tell us just how wrong Joe Patrick is about this wonderful book that I
2: I wanted, to, I, want my, I wanted to give Save it my it. whole heart.
0: Save it. Sarah Dunkerton knows how you feel. It's that time of
2: year again when your drunk buddy that loosely identifies as Irish starts rooting for Notre Dame basketball. Boo. And listening to more flogging Molly than usual. Eh. Well, here but in the Ziggurat, we take St. Patty's Day seriously. We're listening to the please. f***ing Pogues drinking Guinness and bass black and tans, while we watch the people's whiskey drinking champion Sean Cassidy try and shut down his evil arch nemesis and cousin, Black Tom Cassidy, in a good old fashioned Jameson shoot-off, while we review 10 more of this week's comics stirring, the completely f-ing Irish ludicrous speed round. <laughs> ludicrous speed, go! Mockingbird,
0: number one from Marvel.
2: This absolutely would have been my main review this week if I hadn't been so blown away by Batman Superman. Writer Chelsea Kane and artist Kate Niemchik catch up with Bobby Morse, a.k.a. Agent 19, a.k.a. Mockingbird. That's a lot of akas. As she struggles to deal with her exposure to both the Super Soldier Serum and the Infinity Formula <laughs> Whoa. in a previous adventure. Oh, okay. Bobby is forced to go through test after test as S.H.I.E.L.D. tries to figure out what's happening to her and the results are a disjointed, beautiful mess in a good way. Kane's script is hilarious and the issue is packed full of sight gags, thanks to Neemchick. My favorite being Tony Stark in the waiting room of the S.H.I.E.L.D Clinic reading a pamphlet that simply says, Gonorrhea? (laughs) I was worried about Neemchick replacing the wonderful Joelle Jones going into this, but it was unnecessary because the book looks great. My one complaint is that the backgrounds look a little stiff sometimes, like they were mocked up in a separate drawing and then the characters were added in later. Still, I thought this was a great first issue, and I think this series is going to be something special.
0: Monkey Bird number one gets a huge buy. Tommy, number one, Creature Comics. Tommy is the story of a child plagued by his pet rabbit that turns into a psychotic, rampaging sex criminal and murderer when no one is around, of course. The black and white art by Juan Navarro was really impressive and reminded me of the alternative comics of the 80s and 90s that just aren't out there anymore. The story wasn't bad but took some leaps in logic to get to its grisly end. While a little forced, I'm giving Tommy a skim it for reminding me of my good old comic zine days. You just don't see alternative comics like this with a real mean and nasty story anymore, which might be a good thing. I'm giving it a solid skim it, though. <laughs> Baker Street Peculiars, number one from Kaboom.
2: I love Sherlock Holmes, and I'm a little obsessed with the character right now, thanks to this Xbox game I'm b- I've been playing. What game is that? They gave it away for free. It was the free with gold game. It's, uh, you you walk around in Sherlock Holmes and you solve mysteries. It's oh, it's pretty great. I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, you can go download it. So I was excited to see a Holmes-inspired all-ages book from the wonderful Roger Langridge. It's so good. And artist Andy Hirsch on the stands this week. This book centers around a group of kids that fancy themselves detectives as they try to solve the mystery of the stone statues that keep coming to life and disappearing around London. Son of a bitch. I was a little sad when I saw that Langridge wasn't also drawing the series, but Annie Hirsch's art is really delightful. And Langridge is one of the best and funniest all ages writers in comics today. So the story is fast paced, exciting, and very funny. I hadn't even heard of this before this week. I'm glad I found it. Baker Street Peculiars gets a buy it. Aw, yeah, comics.
0: Action Cat, number one from Dark Horse. Last week it was Action Lab, this week Action Cat. Art Balthazar and Franco and friends seem to have a new imprint at Dark Horse called Aw, yeah. And it's awesome. Welcome to two years ago. The team, It's been going on for a while. Oh, really? <laughs> so I missed it. The team that brought us Tiny Titans launches a new comic universe full of superhero cats, their bug sidekicks, rock aliens that ride meteors, lizard guns, mutated ladybugs, and non-stop action that reminded me of the pace of the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. No one is creating all-ages comics this fun with this much action. Action Cat number one gets the biggest buy it ever. Even if you are an old bastard with no children like me, it is just stupid fun. I wish I had a kid to read this with. I'm not, I am not Not Walt- so much I'm going to kidnap one, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love our Balthazar so much. Man, it was just great. But there were other artists in here, too. Sure, sure. That were very much in the same style, and it never felt disjointed. They killed it. The Haunted Mansion, number one from Marvel.
2: I understand the need to whoa, center. Whoa, whoa,
0: whoa. Was Eddie Murphy here? No, this is a different Haunted then Mansion. Then I don't care.
2: <laughs> I understand the need to synergize your paradigms when you're a giant corporation with a popular comic book company at your disposal. But sometimes the results come off as kind of cynical, such is the case with The Haunted Mansion Number 1, the latest in Marvel's series of Disney Kingdoms titles. The book is full of references to the real-life amusement park attraction, tailor-made to trigger some sort of glandular response in hardcore Disney fans. <laughs> I've never even been to Disneyland, and I knew exactly when I was being pandered to. Oh,
0: I think what's going—I see what's going on here. You're just jealous.
2: I never got to go to I Disneyland. I never got to see the Yeah. Not that cool. <laughs> but the talent on this book is top-notch. Writer Joshua Williamson tries to inject some genuine heart into the story through the protagonist's relationship with his grandfather, and the book looks great thanks to John Flood artist Jorge Coelho. So it was a valiant effort but it didn't really do anything to transcend its obvious nature as a marketing tool. Well done. But for Disney super fans only, the Haunted Mansion number one gets a skimmet. Mars Attacks, Occupation number one from
0: IDW? Uh, IDW. IDW. True writer John Layman returns to the Mars Attacks universe for the story of what happens during the occupation of Earth. Humanity is forced to serve in work camps. And one woman has had enough. Andy Kuhn draws the story of the rebellious Ruby Johnson and does a great job fleshing out the world with his heavy lines and solid colors. This setup is an interesting story for a comic book I haven't paid attention to for the last few years now. I'm curious as to how many copies it sells, though, but I'm giving Mars Attacks Occupation number one a buy it. Hey, Adventure Time, number 50 from Kaboom. It's been 49
2: months since my last (laughs) issue of Adventure Time, so I thought it was a good time to check in this is a book-length tale where Finn and Jake happen upon a lich-infected tree, and Finn gets sucked into a magical mystery tour of his own past lives. Dr. McNinja's Christopher Hastings, and welcome to Show Sites, Ian McGinty did an amazing job with this issue. It's funny, it's exciting, it's a little scary, and a
0: little heartbreaking. Ian McGinty just sounds like Irish mob muscle, doesn't he? <laughs> you don't want me to bring McGinty in here, do you?
2: Not McGinty, not McGinty! Opey, <laughs> opey! I loved it. Adventure Time still got it, buy it!
0: Samurai number one from Titan. There is a long, rich, and amazing tradition of Samurai comics, and while I appreciate Blade of the Immortal and Lone Wolf and Cub, I admit I never stuck with, let alone finished reading either. (laughs) I think I always love the idea of Samurai comics more than the actual finished product, but I'm happy to say writer Jean-Francois D and artist Frédéric Genet, the same guys that did the Marvel Soleil Samurai series back in 2008, have re-hooked me. I forgot how beautiful Genet's art was and how pitch-perfect D's story and dialogue is to the samurai movies that I love so much. This is a welcome return to a series I forgot I loved and a samurai story I am going to finish. Buy it. This isn't a reprint, is it? No. This is a new story in that samurai world. The Unmentionables, one shot from Big Planet Retrofit.
2: Writer-artist Jack Teagle brings us the origin of the super team made up of badass wrestlers thrown together by circumstance when half of the company's jobbers decide that bank robbing is more lucrative than wrestling. It's probably true. Are you impressed that I knew the term
0: jobbers? No. Come on. Not really.
2: Come on.
0: Nah, you probably heard me say it. What
2: an asshole. It doesn't really have anything deep and meaningful to say, but who cares? Not me. This was action-packed and a ton of fun. It's the comic that every kid that was obsessed with WWF in the 80s dreamed of making. The Unmentionables gets a huge bite. I didn't know that's what this was about.
0: I'm totally going to read it. It's great. I had no idea.
2: You bet. Street Dogs with a Z number 1 from Alternative Comics.
0: Liz Linny writes and illustrates a borderline hipster amateurish indie comic that follows a group of talking dogs who feed their friend and head muscle of their gang, Crackbones. Of course, bones made a crack. There you go. Of course, he's addicted to them and will do anything for more, which leads to him slipping into a transcendental state and spouting crackbone logic. There wasn't much story here and the art felt purposely loose. I just don't care about indie comics that don't seem to give a shit about the medium. I'm giving this a leave-it. It's pretty harsh, man. I just didn't I care. care. You don't know her motivations. I don't, but it felt lazy.
2: <laughs>
0: there you go.
2: That is your ludicrous speed round, and is the onomatopoeia of the week, and also the sound of a Martian stun gun warming up, as seen in the pages of Mars Attacks Occupation Number 1. Now head to TwoEditNerd.com to check out even better reviews of this week's comics from the host of the Comics Therapy Podcast and our trusty love slave, Aaron Myers.
0: After finishing decorating the teach and Sanctum Sanctorum for the annual Mr. Patrick's Day Beer Pong Challenge, I was shocked to find the spirit of Keith Everett, the Earl of Strathmore, better known as the Undead Gay Ghost, appearing right before my eyes, sorry, Grim Ghost, not gay ghost. The Grim Ghost appeared and promised to share with Joe and I the secrets of next week's comics as long as we remember to change his wiki page to only redirect to the Grim Ghost page. Sure, when he first appeared in Sensation Comics, he was the gay ghost, but times have changed. Look, he's not anti-gay and he doesn't have a problem with anyone's relationship, but he's just more comfortable with the Grim Ghost, not the gay ghost. You you get it, Okay, forget it. Joe, what is your pick for next week? Hey, man, it's 2016. Yeah, that that word had different meaning back then. It's
2: like my tattoo says, you have to learn to love yourself before you can love someone else. That's true. That's That's a line I stole from The Bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) My pick for next week is Legends of Tomorrow, number one from DC Comics, written by Various and drawn by Various. Various has never made a bad My favorites. It's 80 pages for eight bucks. Here's your solicit. It's four powerhouse tales in one colossal comic, as some of comics' most legendary talents launch new tales of Firestorm, Metamorpho, The Metal Man, and Sugar and Spike. That's right, Sugar and Spike. So this was going to be, I believe, a series, an, like a monthly anthology series with rotating stories.
0: Loosely tied to the TV show? It's not tied to the TV show, because okay.
2: none of these characters are in the TV show. Sugar, I, uh, Firestorm for Firestorm, yeah. yeah.
0: Sugar and Spike aren't there? No. That sucks. But
2: I believe it's kind of been retooled as a... You know what else sucks? The TV show. It doesn't <laughs> suck. It's really good. Sucks. No, you suck. You don't know. Anyway, it's this 80-page anthology now. Okay. And so it's four stories in each issue, and you've got guys like Jerry Conway coming back to do Firestorm. Jerry Conway is the co-creator of Firestorm from right. the 70s. Right. Len Wein coming to do a Metal Men story. Len Wein did not create the Metal Men. No.
0: I do love Trevor Scott on the art there, though. Love Yildre, Trevor Scott.
2: Yildre Sennar, he's a fan favorite. He's good, too. Uh, Aaron Lepresti doing Metamorpho. I love that character and Metamor- and uh, Aaron
0: Lepresti. Yeah, Metamorpho is a character that they have really lost track of. I loved, was it Rex Manning? Rex um, Morgan? Tyler. No, not Max no, Morgan. No, Rex. Rex Manning was from... <laughs> Rex Manning's from Can't Hardly Wait, or uh, Empire Records. <laughs> no, Empire Records. <laughs> And Rex Morgan, um, is Rex like, Mason, Rex Mason, <sighs> Rex Morgan is like a really bad detective. Like, and <laughs> Rex Tyler is strip. our man. Yes, got a lot of that was a Rex Avalanche,
2: Rex cast, T Rex. Yeah, the Sugar and Spike story is written by Keith Given with art by Bill Caselli. Hey, Bill Focus. Shaft. I love anthologies, and I love this. Kind of reminds me of the old seventies DC Comics where it was like a hundred a pa- hundred pages for a dollar, and it would be, you know, it would just be Batman. But then there would be a thousand backup stories. Right. Of course. Always like the
0: C-list characters.
2: Like, yeah, here's a short story about Airwave. Ever heard of him? He's Hal Jordan's cousin. (laughs) Is he? (laughs) Yes. I did not know that. Yeah.
0: That's a coincidence.
2: And yeah, I just so I love that they're doing this book focusing on these lesser characters. Uh, C-list, let's call them. Though, you know what? Metamorpho, Firestorm,
0: they're B-list, right? Firestorm, arguably. Metamorpho, probably not anymore. The Metal Men, I always have had a soft spot for them. The last men. time Metamorpho was B-list it was probably the '90s,
2: and I won't lie, I love Sugar and Spike. <laughs> I don't.
0: Wow, I guess somebody has to.
2: Uh, but this is a reimagining of Sugar and Spike. They're grownups now. They're
0: like middle managers in the DC universe. They're dealing with their dumb names.
2: <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's fun. It's got some sort of loose connection to the
0: TV show, obviously because of the title, right? But it's focusing on comic book characters. Okay. And I'm into it. My pick of the week goes to Lords of the Jungle. Number one from Dynamite. This is written by Karina Bechko. Art by Roberto Castro. 32 pages for $3.99. There's a kick-ass Alex Ross cover for this, too. Here's your solicit. Tarzan has long been the protector of his jungle stronghold, but this time the fight has to be taken to his enemy's territory, deep in the heart of London. Half a world away and nearly a century later, Sheena is battling foes of her own when she is mysteriously swept through time and space. This happens in Dynamite all the time. Like they have more (laughs) problems with the time and space and multiverse than D.C. and That's saying something. To 1930s Africa, leaving her own land unprotected. Will these two lords of the jungle find enough common ground to join forces? Ooh, Jane better hope not. Or will the resulting culture clash lead to mutual destruction? I'm going to lay this out. I love Tarzan. I want nothing more than to read a good Tarzan comic. Karina Bechko has written a bunch of stuff I love. She did some great Planet of the Apes stuff. She did some really good Star Wars stuff. I want this to be good. There's no reason why it can't. Both these characters lend themselves to each other very well. Don't make it a love story. That's all I ask.
2: The THN trade of the week goes to Archie, Volume 1 from Archie Comics, written by Mark Wade with art by Fifi Stapes. Come on. Her name is Fiona Staples. Her we name all, is Fiona Staples. We all know it. Look, I'm not being disrespectful. A, I respect the hell out of her. I just think it's fun to I'm call her, her you Fifi Staples. respect. I respect her, Miss Staples. I think you're an amazing talent, and I'm grateful for your contributions to the comic industry. All right,
0: read the damn solicit.
2: But I think it's funny to call you Fifi Staples. <sighs> I'm sorry. It's 176 pages for 19.99. What a deal. You know, honestly, that doesn't seem
0: like a huge deal. It's not deal. that huge of a deal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's fine. I'll say it's fine.
2: Archie, one of the longest-running titles in comic book history, is rebooted here by two of the most talented creators in comics, Mark Waid and Fiona Staples. Together, they create a surprising and definitive take on the origins of everyone's favorite red-headed teen. Nobody has a favorite red-headed teen. I do. It's Archie. And his friends, while showcasing the beginnings of the historic love triangle between Archie, Betty, and Veronica. The book captures the bite and hilarious edge of Archie's original tales in a modern forward-looking manner while still retaining the characters all ages appeal. It collects Archie 1 through 6, and you got to figure those were at least 2.99 a piece. I think they were more than that. I think they were 3 something, 3.50 maybe. Even if they know. were 3 bucks a piece, that's 18 bucks. Right. It's no more expensive to buy the trade than it is the comics. I guess. So of course this collects Archie one through six and
0: bonus content, including scripts, sketches, and variant covers. I'm gonna say something controversial. Go for it. I don't give a about the Archie relaunch. Okay. I re- I read it. I read Archie. I read some Jughead. I'll say yeah, they very much modernized it. There's good creators working on it. They're probably doing just about everything they could with Archie. I thought Archie before this was edgier and had more going on. Truly.
2: <laughs> well why why was it edgier
0: we had the death of Archie we had like the introduction of gay characters we had well sure but that stuff is all still here I'm not saying it's not but I, I'm saying we had all this like it seemed like bigger and edgier stuff going on in Riverdale it only
2: seemed bigger and edgier because it was Archie doing it fine and uh, you know what that's fine you can feel what you feel yeah. I knew that about you I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it I, I think it's a great book I just don't give a shit. and I guess next time you should pick the trade of the week
0: no it's fine you can have this that's fine we don't have to agree all the time
2: I can have it He's appeasing
0: It's yours Okay I made the changes To the Grim Ghost Wiki page But I'm not sure He understands How Wikipedia works well, Give him a break The guy's been dead Since the 1700s Like okay So when some Golden Age nerd Changes it back Do you think he's gonna Come back to us With a vengeance Possibly yes Great That's great Well I email The afterlife IT To get a message To the Grim Gay Ghost Why don't you guys Head over to the THN forums And tell us What you're pumped To read next week
2: Matt, there is too much dude funk hanging around this show. It is funky. It's time we class the joint up with a bit of lady power. That's right, it's time again to bring the one woman brave enough to appear on this show. It's time for Words of Wisdom with Elise Wisdom. Hello, listeners,
1: and welcome to a special on location edition of Words of Wisdom. I'm recording today's episode from a tent next to Blue Stem Lake near Sprague, Nebraska. Is it Sprague or Sprague? Anyway, I decided to take a little break from the big city life of Omaha, Nebraska, and go enjoy nature for a few days. Know what I've learned so far? Nature is freaking loud. I thought I'd have a hard time sleeping out of fear of being murdered, but it turns out that frogs and geese were a bigger problem than Jason Voorhees. I've also learned that sound really travels across a lake. There are two fishermen on the other side of this lake, probably a mile away and I can hear every word of their conversation. One of them is pretty pissed off that he wasn't invited to his friend's wedding. Anyway, you're probably wondering what I'm doing out here to pass the time besides listening in on fishermen's conversations. The first thing I did once I got settled in was to sit down and read Civil War. I was warned not to read it before the movie because they would end up being two completely different things. But just like wisdoms are competitive, we are also stubborn. So I read it anyway. So what do I think about Civil War? Well, I think it's great. It's epic, poignant, the number of heroes involved is insanely massive, which is one of the reasons why the movie is going to be so different from the book. I'm also interested in seeing how the government is going to pursue the Superhero Registration Act in the movie because it looks like it's gonna revolve around Bucky, but the reasoning behind it in the book makes a lot more sense. If you haven't read Civil War, maybe earmuff it for a little bit because I'm gonna get into spoiler territory. In the book version of Civil War, some D-list heroes try to boost the ratings of their reality show by going after supervillains that are way out of their league. This results in a school getting blown up and kids getting killed. The resulting sentiment is that heroes need to be held to the same standard as police and have proper training and to be held accountable. Given the recent climate with real-life police officers and the American public outcry for them to get better training and start wearing body cams to be held accountable for their actions, this is probably not the best analogy. But I digress. Some superheroes see this as the only way to move forward and gain back the trust of civilians. They see it as a choice between becoming civil servants or being outlawed altogether. This group is led by Tony Stark who takes these measures personally after being spit at and attacked by the mother of a deceased child. The other half of heroes led by Captain America is opposed to the idea of basically becoming S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and constantly being monitored, because in addition to being intrusive of their lives as individuals, this would also impede their abilities to do their jobs as superheroes, not to mention the fact that they don't want the government telling them who the bad guys are and who they should be fighting. Stark's team seems to be the victors in this battle. Public opinion has gone up, crime is at an all-time low, the main opposition at this point is Captain America's team. But Stark goes to some pretty extreme lengths to achieve this new America that he has envisioned, even going so far as to employ supervillains to go after heroes who do not comply and imprison them in the negative zone. I believe the moral of the story is the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I'm very excited to see the movie, and I know I'll be able to appreciate it as its own separate entity. This is going to be a great summer for superhero movies and TV, and you can catch me discussing them once a month on Michael Sevier's radio show, The Bottom Line, if you are so inclined. Now if you'll excuse me... I have to go eat some jerky and look pensively out at the lake. I wonder what the fishermen are up to now. Till next time, nerds. This is Elise Wisdom saying, Wisdom Out.
0: Sort of break break it down like this. And that is it for the St. Patty's Day episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that can hold their whiskey, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts. It helps us to connect with other potential listeners. If you like this show, tell somebody about it, please. Hey, the Periscope parts are
2: good, too. I love those. Yeah, those are fun. Thank you to all of our donors. You are the only thing that keeps our beers green. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at 2 And to become a sustaining member, simply check the Make This Donation Monthly Box when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN, say you've got an independent comic you want to promote, you sure. got a small business, sure. you got a you invented some sort of product that you wanna yeah, pip- products, you know. You got a website of your own. All these fine things that might Everybody require... Everybody websites. Sponsorship. Yeah. You can shoot us an email with the subject line.
0: Sponsorship. We want to help you out.
2: We want to help you out. We want you to help us out.
0: Yeah, we need you to help us out. I'll be honest. I mean, if I don't start making money on this soon, my wife's going to leave. <laughs> okay? False. Not exactly. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to the TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope. We're on it right now. Right now, talking to Periscope peeps, taking their questions, getting made fun of—it's awesome. Twitter. Our Twitter feed kicks ass. We're always on there screwing around. It's usually Joe or me yelling at him from my Twitter feed to stop talking about Dancing with the Stars on our Twitter feed. Embrace it. The people love it. YouTube, where we do almost nothing. Facebook. No, literally nothing. We do nothing on YouTube. (laughs) Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. It's always hilarious. And the Ziggurat Hotline. 402-819-4894. Billy, don't you lose that number.
2: Whoa! if you dig the music you hear on the show you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on spotify by searching for matt
0: bomb spotify profile literally all our references this week were 20 plus years old.
2: yeah oh yeah god i uh w- i just walked harvey locust through finding matt's spotify profile last night on the forums this is my name before we go
0: our weekly shout out goes to Fateful listener and daredevil enthusiast tim benson who is having a birthday today my good friends at the so so glows they're a great band from brooklyn new york coolest place in the world i wonder if they know anthony they wrote a new birthday song it is so much better than
2: <laughs>
0: goes like this very simple Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Woo, 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 woo. And then it repeats as many times as you want. It's awesome. Okay? <laughs> Word to you, Tim, and happy birthday. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre order your comics, or your retailer might make you a not so happy birthday song. This is the Two Headed Nerd wishing you the happiest of St. Patrick's Days. And be careful out there. Take care of each other. And if you're drinking, don't drive. And if you're driving, don't drink. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might make you a not so happy birthday song. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. You know, man, these retailers are always threatening me. They're bad. very angry. <laughs> they <really> are. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not far
2: from the mark. You know? No. no. <laughs> Hashtag too Oh,
0: there's whiskey in the jar. Hey, whiskey!